Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. You know, the easiest way to go green is to, to start by just going smaller. And um, just realize that particularly in the U.S., there's this real phenomenon we've over the last 60 odd years supersized ourselves in this crazy way so we have it used to be a thousand square feet per person um or th sorry a thousand square feet um was sort of the average uh, housing size uh -huh. uh, back in like the 50s and now it's like 2700 with smaller families so you know the big numbers are we have three times the space per person that we used to i mean it's just it's it it's crazy I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Graham, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So, you know, I actually came across your story by way of the minimalism documentary. And, uh, you know, I saw that you created the website Life Edited. And then when I saw the apartment that you had built for yourself, I thought, one, I want one of those apartments. And two, I have to talk to this guy. Uh, But before we get into your actual work, um, I want to start by asking a question that I found has been very informative and interesting. And that is, what did your parents do for a living? And how has that impacted the choices that you have made with your life and your career? Um, that's a great question and actually one that I really haven't thought about before so I appreciate it. I know you don't usually share this stuff uh, in advance but um, it, I had to actually really think about it and uh, so the first quick answer is my, my dad was an airline pilot you know this was he's like 67 so it was really a different time and his dad was in the army and such so he you know I think airline pilot was a great job and so he did it, but the it's not when you like pilots. The, the idea of a pilot is way more sexy than it actually is. For for in most cases, I think. I mean, in a way, it's like driving a big bus, and like there's just very specific rules, and and so I think you know it was great. It was great money, and and I'm proud of him. You know, it's a really, it's a very really important job, and you know it's a, it's it's not easy to make happen and all that. But I think for him, it wasn't it wasn't that exciting. It just he was like just putting in his time and what was great about it was made reasonable money um, and allowed him to do other stuff. And so what he was really about um, was more, um, you know, small scale real estate development. Real estate development sounds so boring, but um, (laughs) basically he um, grew up in a fairly sort of suburban setting, almost city, uh-huh. And did what a lot of people did at that time, uh, the hippies anyway. They sort of went, they did back to the land. So he sort of got out of there and moved to this sort of little hippie area about an hour and a half outside of Montreal and um, just wanted to do things differently. And so this was the, you know, 70s. And he bought, I think it was 400 acres, which makes him sound very rich, but it's not really the case. I think land was just really cheap, and it was a lot of it was on the side of this mountain. And so he bought this big piece of land in the very much in the country, like 20, 20 minutes out of like a tiny town. And this was the time like the Stuart Brand's Whole Earth catalog, and just sort of you know back to the land, like how do we do it? Anti-establishment, you know, how do we do things differently? And so he, he bought this land, and then. I think what, what really inspired me and what sort of became part of me is just that he, he, he knows how to figure it out. He will figure it out. And so he really, despite not really coming from a construction background, he just figured it out. And so like he built this long driveway in and then he, he found, um, he really liked log cabins. And so there are these, uh, he found all these old log cabins in Ontario, sort of out in the middle of nowhere, often covered over um, like barns and stuff. He's and and basically bought them for like fifteen hundred bucks a pop, and then dismantled them, put them on a truck, and bought them to Quebec. And then he put two of them together to create this really amazing house, just you know quite large, <laughs> ironically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we ended up having a lot of my brothers and sisters, and so and he built a pond, and then he we had like horses and chickens and and then he you know got into like he he built it so that we could heat with wood and then he put the well up up on the uh, up on the side of the mountain and so it was gravity feed and then he had what's called a water jacket in the furnace and so um and then we would heat we heat wood as i said we had like gas heating we had 
um, hurricane lanterns. And so it was the kind of thing like the power would go out and we'd have, you know, full heating, full lighting. And because of the water jacket and the gravity feed, we'd have, uh, you know, warm showers. And so, you know, that big gardens and, and, you know, making pickles and applesauce and he just like would mass produce stuff. So it just, I think, you know, what really inspired me and impacted sort of my life was just this, this sense of like a little anti-establishment and, and sort of hippie and, and nature and health and being able to like figure stuff out. And he just, he really, he really did. And he ended up doing a bunch of different housing, these small developments. He just did a lot of building and, and so that really, I think, set set me on on my path, which really was I've, I've wanted to be an inventor since I was a, a child, and um, so it's just the this idea of sort of coming up with things. And so I think that, and then just having the guts to figure it out and do it. And I think so that's probably really you know my my dad. And maybe what's um, slightly different is that I went a little more product oriented and I had a little more sales and marketing. He was sort of about a little less sort of public and get stuff out there. And so, you know, my story is more like as an entrepreneur, I think, and it's, I find it almost embarrassing to say, but I think I've become more and more comfortable with the fact that I'm, I'm actually a, a marketer, you know, a packager. Like I can put, put an idea together and, and, and tell a good story about it and make it compelling. And, and so like my, my early days were literally, uh, you know, what, where you sort of saw my skills as an entrepreneur, I can tell you a couple of different stories, but one was just boy scouts selling calendars and, um, you know, me, I remember I was at the fair and I sold like, I don't know, five times as many as the second, the second guy in, 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 in terms of sales, I guess had this, this ability. And, you know, I guess I was this cute little kid and I w- was pretty fearless. And so, um, yeah, so that was, that was one. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, sound yeah, yeah good? totally. Yeah, we're good. 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 Sure. Um, the other one I can think of was, uh, <laughs> being on vacation with, uh, in Barbados. We went there a few times with the family and, there are these sand dollars that you can find in the, in the ocean and then you can sadly <laughs> take them and then bleach them. And then they make these like really beautiful little sand dollars. Um, and so I did that and then I recruited my twin sisters who are a couple years younger than me as salespeople and we basically <laughs> would go and sell them to tourists, you know. So there's just like there's something – inside me that just wanted to you know make and and sell things i did you know I, I made towel racks and like i always had some sort of scheme to to make and sell things um my mom was a, a real estate agent and then uh did therapy acted as a therapist for a little while and then was a teacher for a long time in women's studies and so i think her her impact on me was more um now she's bookish and and really lovely and and very very smart, but she has very strong morals, like a real sense of fairness and just doing the right thing. She's that annoying person that, you know, the big company, uh, you know, charges you less than they should, and she'd be the one that would would tell them, <laughs> you know, she will do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also, and this is wrapping into the next question a little bit, but she, they were, her and my stepdad were like the first people to get a Prius, you know, from <laughs> a very, very early. And, and they've done amazingly nerdy things like, um, a few years ago now they did the hundred mile diet where they basically, and this is in Quebec, they live for a month um, trying to, uh, only use, uh, eat and uh, only use like energy from the sun and they were biking everywhere. And then they were all the stuff they were eating need to come from less than a hundred miles away. So, uh, mom's big gardener. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, what sort of set of parents in their fifties you know, does weird stuff like that. So, they also help. Uh, they they helped out. Um, worked with uh, disabled skiers, um, doing that for a while. And so they're just sort of lovely. So I come from you know these 
my parents like do things a little, a little differently. And, and really, uh, a lot of it is just based on sort of their strong views of the world and, and, and wanting to do things right. Um, so you know, that's, um, that's it seems that. to me like you've had this ongoing theme of curiosity and inquisitiveness throughout your life. And uh, as somebody who's maintained it throughout your life, I'm curious how people bring it back in their adult lives, especially if they've lost it. Because it seems to me that it's something that we lose. You know, I mean, I, this is something that always struck me. I remember walking through a Barnes & Noble, and you know how they have those sections for education where they'll list, you know, this mm. is for first graders, this is for second graders, this is for third graders, and so on. And as you progress, the thing that really struck me is that the opportunity for self-expression diminishes with each level of school that you go through. Mm. So there's what you mean. So you're looking at the books and, and I'm looking at the books in general, but I mean, I, I see this as a, a pattern, um, you know, at least from what I've seen in my life is, is that, you know, your creativity, your curiosity, all these things need to be woken up again in some way. And you seem to have maintained this sense throughout your entire life. And I'm wondering, you know, um, how people do that. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like our society, there's a there's there's a lot of settling, you know, there's a lot of like time to get serious like you know you can't like just going okay well i can't really do that i have to do you know i have to be responsible and i have to do this thing and listen uh i mean i think the reality is that well certainly in in for me i'm i'm you know i've, I've made some money so i'm very very fortunate um that i have more latitude to you know i don't have to be responsible so um so that's you know i'm gonna you know you live in the u.s and like we are so we're so incredibly fortunate so you know some people just really in a, in a way don't have that that opportunity mm. and, and so but yeah our society definitely definitely drives towards okay it's time to settle i gotta settle for the settle with this woman i gotta settle with this job i gotta settle with i can't move again and and it drives us um towards that and, yeah i don't know i mean i guess i'm it's hard it's a it's a bit of a hard question i mean i could i guess i could do the same mm-hmm. and i guess i mean i've even done it differently in terms of making money like often there's you know you make money and there's a very there's a certain path you're meant to you're meant to follow and i haven't particularly followed that um mm-hmm. i don't know I, I mean curiosity is like i'm i'm definitely like I literally, my parents would say no more, no more questions. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a little bummed that they said that, but I probably was really, really annoying. And, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky that I just, I do really have the curiosity and it, 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 it extends to so many different areas that, I mean, I de- it's a bummer sometimes. Like you just, you want to, like, I, I'm, 46 now like i'm just i'm bummed that i probably have 40 years left you know like it's there's there's so many things that i would like to do and to explore and it's it's really it's uh it's tough so i guess i'm 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 lucky i often like when people are like trying to figure out what they want to do my suggestion is hit a hit a magazine or like a news agency a, a magazine store kind of thing and you know don't like just don't don't get too fussy about it just like go what are you what are you drawn to if the you, you know the, there are like 500 magazines there like if you're if you're buying 10 of them what what are they and what parts in of them are really attract attractive to you where do, where do you end up going um because i think that's you know that's what you that's where you want to go and that's your curiosity right what am i interested in Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So walk me through sort of the the trajectory of your career and like how you know you've ended up like what what's been the, the sort of the significant what have been sort of the significant inflection points and how you ended up to the point where you've built life edited significant inflection points um probably i mean i was um you know i was an older older child and I, my childhood was a little difficult as you know, many, many people's are. And I think my, my reaction to it was, you know, getting, going to the world of ideas and like really focusing on schoolwork and that sort of stuff instead of like rebelling as, as some do. Um, so I, you know, I did fairly well in school and then, um, I was very fortunate in that I got to, to try all sorts of different things. So I just, you know, I was at a school, a tiny school called the country school run by parents and then I was in French school and I was in English school and, and I was in like mostly in public school. And then uh, I would say a big, big inflection point or two, two inflection points sort of in my schooling was I got to go to a private school called Bishop's College School in, in Quebec. And I'm very fortunate and happy that I was able to see both, you know, mostly public, but also have private school and when I got there, it just like it, it's it's what the, all the brochures say, you know, open your horizons and all that bullshit. Like it's totally true. Like I went there, and all of a sudden I was around people that were really pushing, and so they pushed me in my my schooling, and they pushed me in sports, and it was just so great. And all these different people from. Um, you know, often from successful families, which, you know, is a money thing, but there's also, it often comes from people who are smart and dedicated and driven and creative. And, and so really interesting people and, and of all nationalities from everywhere. And so I think that really changed the direction of my life and really opened stuff up. And I'm really thankful for my parents for, for spending the money for me to go to that year because it was a new thing and it was sort of a big deal for them. And, um, and that led to me getting a, a, 
scholarship to a, a school in Germany. And so I ended up going to this for free to this for a year uh, to this school in Germany. And actually, I should back up one second. So I'm at this uh, private school and I apply to university and I apply into engineering. And I'm still one want to be engineer to this day, but I get the coursework. I open it up. Uh, I think I was accepted into like Western or something in in Ontario. I open it up, and it's basically math, 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 math. And I quite like math. Like I'm one of those weirdos that enjoyed calculus. Um, and but I just was like, no, this is not. I don't. I you know pretty much slammed it shut. I was like, I'm not doing this. It's just like that does not feel right. And so I, I was young because I had skipped a grade, and my birthday's in September. And so that's when I decided to take a year off and um, sort of figure out what I wanted to do. And so I ended up going to this round square school in Germany called Zalem um, for free, which was in this castle, and it was like I don't know, thirty six thousand dollars or something crazy. And it was all like the the you know, upper crust largely, you know, definitely some scholarship stuff as well, but of, you know, Germans and princes and princesses and captains of industry and all this in Southern Germany. And so it was, it was a really, it was fascinating. And I got to really see Europe and understand, you know, a whole different way. And, you know, Germany is just an incredible place with a real focus on sustainability and quality. And I learned a new language and, and I did, I studied architecture there. Basically I got into photography and, and that's sort of what led me to go towards architecture. Um, so I ended up right after that, I went to, I got a, I got another scholarship luckily to do our bound in Australia, which was an unbelievable experience. And then I ended up, um, I applied into architecture at uh, Carleton university in Ottawa, which is a, one of the better schools in Canada, if not maybe the, the best, I guess, depending on how you look at it for, for architecture. And I, <laughs> I didn't even apply anywhere else. So I was so cocky slash stupid because I, I scraped in, like I was on the waiting list, like I barely made it. Um, so I ended up there and architecture is a fantastic education and it really taught me how to work. And get organized and it's like it's you know it's art but it's it's engineering so there's just there's a lot to it and it's a beautiful education i'm really glad i did it and i literally worked my ass off as everyone as everyone does for like five years straight i i sure i threatened to quit every single year um just because it was a it was a lot it was a lot um and uh, it but what I really one of the sort of inflection points, I guess, although now I'm circling back to real estate, is that I found out about industrial design. I dated this woman named Allison Phillips, uh, who was in the industrial design program. And back then, the the sort of before Eve Bahar and the you know the, just there there weren't these these industrial design superstars out there. It just wasn't known. So I like, despite wanting to be an inventor, I ended up in architecture because I didn't sort of realize that there was a school for invention, which is really product design, industrial design. And so uh, dating this woman, Allison led me to sort of understand that. And, and so that was an inflection point in that after, uh, after architecture in the last year, we got somehow got bored, which makes no sense because we had so much work, but um, we started a clothing company and a band. <laughs> and, uh, we made these like sort of, you know, snowboard hats and stuff. We were early, early into snowboarding and living in Whistler and stuff in the summer. And so we yeah, got a Grant Vanderslat and Don Collins and I started a, a, this thing called uh, Three Brothers. Um, God, it's so weird being able to talk at length in, in an interview. Um, <laughs> so a, a slight uh, sidebar on that. So we did... Um, we, for whatever reason, doesn't make any sense. We were like, huh, school politics. I wonder if we should get involved in that. And so um, we were so busy with architecture uh, that we want, we basically got one seat and then we called it the three brothers because that's what Grant and Don and I were called. And so we could sort of sit on student council, um, but not, not one of us could could be there each time instead of all three of us. And, and so it sort of made it manageable. Anyway, so three brothers ended up being the, uh, the name of the company, the clothing company. And, and that, um, it went well, we sort of, we made these, uh, 
we made some a whole bunch of skater kind of clothing. We're we're very big into sort of skateboarding, snowboarding at that point, and we got in like twenty five uh, stores across Canada, and we had this. Uh, we found this like old vintage suitcase, and we rigged it with like three styrofoam heads inside on a shelf sort of set into the back panel and so we'd open it up and then you'd see these three styrofoam heads with the with different our hats and then in the base of it would be all the hats we were selling and so we would when we uh, drove out to whistler we would just stop by all these stores and go in with our our uh, traveling suitcase and sell hats <laughs> and and then we did belt buckles and jackets and all sorts of stuff anyway that was uh that was a lot of fun and uh, and really ended up a hobby. It's hard to – we sort of – I think we, we, what the learning there was that in fashion, you got to sort of either be you know low volume and high price or high volume and low price. And um, we were sort of neither. And so we learned, we learned a lot and uh, that got me a job um, later on working for Board of Authority as like a production and designer in production. But um, – but yeah, what we had to abandon that. But so, so one of the inflection points was really out in. It was spending some time out in Whistler. I was working construction because it was fabulous money, and and we just had so much fun up in Whistler, mountain biking and rock climbing and snowboarding and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that I was spending. I just really fell in love with the West Coast and Vancouver area, and that. And so there's a great school called Emily Carr, which is on. Uh, I think they're moving actually, but they're on Granville Island, which is this lovely little island right in the middle of Vancouver in the city. Um, and so I, I got in, I studied, I applied for product design. You know, I always wanted to be an inventor, and and I didn't realize that that schooling existed. And I'd done this five years of architecture, and um, I guess I just wasn't quite ready. And so that's. Um, so that was a big one. So I went, I went there, and I, I uh, it was nice in that it was different because I really was there not necessarily to get a degree, but more just to learn about how to do product design. And it, um, architecture had been so um, non-computer oriented. Our school was like so behind. Like we literally had like Fortran seventy seven, like the the War Games green terminal thing where you anyway so it would take you a bunch of lines of code just to draw a, a line like it was just really 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 behind and so computers were were this is sort of apple II era maybe even before were big at emily carr and so so the big inflection point there is it just finally i got into computers and i did uh, 3d max and autocad and i just learned how to do 3d modeling and and so that was was really inspiring because so this is like CD-ROM time. That just for for me it was like a small team could do something that could be seen the world over, and uh, I really I really appreciated that. And, and that you could really control the entire environment and really create something amazing that way. Um, but probably the biggest thing uh, and what really led to my uh, sort of career moves from there was that that Emily Carr had a fast connection to the internet. And we had Pine email. And so this is, you know, 93, 94 kind of thing. So quite early. Um, and we also had a, um, how's that sound? It's fine. We're good. Keep going. Doing it right outside the window. Um, so we had a, a, web, a graphical web terminal, is what they were called then, which was basically a computer uh, in the library, one of them that had the graphical web, so the web with pictures. Um, and so when I saw that, I was doing all the CD-ROM stuff, I was like, wow, that's it. And I just, for whatever reason, I just was like, the internet, just like it's so obvious and so I, I want to do work in that area. And so that was a very big point. And so I think I was sort of trying to figure out how I could do some work up in Vancouver and then my lovely cousin Tish Hill I was down in Seattle, and she was uh, she had been doing sort of CD-ROM stuff in the dental world, in fact. Um, and we'd kept in touch, and and we're always close. And um, and so I I basically rode my illegal motorcycle down the day after school ended, and and from Emily Carr Product Design down to Seattle, bunked in with her and her husband Brian, and we set about trying to start a web company, building websites. We just thought that was it. And we, uh, there were about four of us at the time, um, Jeff Hughes and Ophir Ronan, 
dish and myself and we would sort of have breakfast meetings and we'd be pitching people and in in this time it literally was a time where people would would confuse their uh, their email addresses with their website addresses like that's how early it was <laughs> and, and so it was like pre netscape you know it was like mosaic browser kind of thing like microsoft wasn't in on anything like it just was it was really early and so um we set i had like a 200 dollar a room law a tiny room in this big loft in uh in downtown seattle which is really fun and this motorcycle and and we just kept on pushing and and um Effectively, what happened is Tish ended up getting a job out at Microsoft, um, just helping do project management for stuff. And we were able to pitch her, um, the person that she worked for there, on doing some web stuff. And so I wrote up this $11,000 proposal, which was more money than I could possibly believe at that point, um, to do some web work for them, this woman, Mary Mucci. And... Uh, we got it, and then we, you know, pulled in contractors that, that really knew their stuff because we were we didn't know that much. Did good good work, and uh, so it sort of went from there. And so that was definitely an inflection point. So we did we grew this company largely on Microsoft from the two of us. It was four of us, I guess. The two guy two other guys left pretty quickly, um, and so it was really Tish and I, and uh, we built the company to sixty people over three years, um, doing millions and millions of dollars of, of uh, web development. Um, and we sold it to a, a New York firm called Bound, B-O-W-N-E. It was a big financial printer. Um, and so that was uh, definitely definitely a big moment. And so I'm like, so that, so that, that was, a, it was an interesting period. So, you know, I'm at 28 years old. All of a sudden I made, uh, made a bunch of money. And it was quite heady. I had all these people working for me and, and um, or for us, I should say, for Tish and myself. And, you know, all of a sudden I didn't have to worry about, about money so much. And, and so I ended up uh, running, an, uh, they asked me to run an office and bought one of the companies they bought their office in Boston. So I was up there for a few months, uh, but only under the promise that I would get to New York. I've always always loved New York and I just felt like people walk my speed here. I just felt, I just felt right. And I wanted to get there. And so that's how I sort of finagled my way there. And, um, and then I ended up, uh, I was like New York city. It's in, in more than any place in the world, probably, or one of them anyway, like what you do is who you are, period. Like people ask you, it's like almost before, how are you? It's like, what do you do? It's just so critical. And so the irony was I <laughs> basically I was being a man of leisure for a bit, trying to figure out what's next. And so I was I was doing nothing. You know, I had I had nothing going on. I left, you know, finally left the company. And and so I had this sort of interesting period of, of identity crisis in a way. My early, you know, late 20s, early 30s, where I had this very heady experience. And now I had some money and some real you know, flexibility to pick whatever I wanted. And, and, uh, so I, I had like an early midlife crisis. It was, it was a tough period. I had some, I had some depression and, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was challenging. And, and where I effectively sort of ended up was I just, um, I ended up, um, being part of this, uh, small environmental group. I somehow ended up at some meeting for this group called the natural step. And, uh, liked it and I'd always had this leaning for towards that stuff and and um so we had this little group and and it just got me really into green and we used to have people over to my loft and have these meetings and we put together the interdependent film festival and all on sort of green green topics and so it just got me really interested and then so I read uh, ecology of commerce and natural capitalism a couple of Paul Hawken books that were really formative and and uh, I ended up uh, my first sort of next business really was um, I got really excited about how plants clean the air and so I said about for about a year, a year and a half, I worked on trying to create a, a plant, plant-based air filter that would run air through the soil of a plant. And so I made a specific planter with a special soil and a fan, etc. And it would basically run the air through and, and uh, the 
microbes in the soil would break down the pollutants since you could have this beautiful air filter. I wanted something that was small and inexpensive and effectively it ended up being sort of big and expensive and I didn't I got some sort of bad advice along the way and um and people ended up doing it but I, and I know how to do it it's just the problem is it really has to be sort of big it's more like trunk size to do anything meaningful um but the the uh a couple of things came out of that one um I ended up down in in Peru and uh working on I wanted to make them out of the vessels out of ceramics and so I I found with this group called Aid to Artisans, I found this group down there and I basically booked, bunked in with some family and then I would go into the factory to and work with this guy Chino on the wheel and basically I would, you know, draw stuff up and my Spanish was pretty crap but we would figure it out and, and he would make stuff and so we did all these prototypes and as a designer with a factory guy that would make anything for me, I just really took advantage of it. And so I made a ton of different uh, designs. And and one of the things I came up with at that time was the, uh, the we have a site called um, wearehappytoserveyou.com. So there's a cup that you may be familiar with. It's an iconic New York paper coffee cup. It's like, uh, I don't know, 12 ounces, 10 ounces or something. And it's blue and it has a sort of Greek design. Um, and it's, it has some like steaming coffees and it says, we are happy to serve you on the side. And, um, this was, uh, back in like the sixties, I guess most of the delis were Greek owned in New York. And so they made this cup to appeal to that, to those owners and, um, solo cup company ended up owning it. And so I always loved the cup. It's a beautiful cup and it's just this iconic thing, but it's, you know, it's ephemeral. You throw it out. And so I thought it would be really cool to have sort of make an environmental comment about the disposable coffee cup culture, um, but also just create a a useful souvenir. Um, And so people could bring it home. And so um, I somehow worked the phone all the way around the solo solo, uh, cup company and, and was able to negotiate a license and made this prototype and we got, got it with, uh, with my, uh, lovely ex-girlfriend, Olga Susplugas. We set about trying to sell them into stores and like Pearl River might've been our first. Um, and, but we ended up eventually getting it into MoMA and, um, it's been a bestseller there for like 10 years. So we, this little cup basically have a we ended up, we have a handful of products. We have a smaller version and we have an I Love New York cup. But, you know, mo- for mostly does this one product company. Um, and I think we've probably sold 350, 400,000 of them over the over years. And Olga still runs it virtually from uh, from Spain. And so so that was a you know, silver lining out of the, trying to do the air filter was I ended up finding this other business. And um, so... Back to sort of the pathway. Um, so at this, about the same time I was doing the cup, um, I was part of this, uh, the organization I was telling you, this natural step, our own little sort of offshoot that we'd meet. And I think I just got, I got frustrated. Um, I just wanted to do things. And it seemed like there were a lot of answers, but we, we, I wanted to do things. And I got really frustrated with environmental media in general. Um, in that at that time, this is like 2004, it seemed like it, there was it was either sort of nonprofits that didn't have a lot of resources and were really sort of careful and you know non-design forward and sort of you know boring and or it was like little labors of love by people out there and they just didn't you know just didn't have the time to or the funds to really dedicate to it and and most of the environmental movement at that point uh, was about no it was about stop this and stop that and, and inspire by fear. And while that is a really important, I think it takes a number of different approaches and inspire by fear is one of them. And, um, um, Al Gore's inconvenient truth is, is definitely largely that, and it really, really made a difference. Um, I just felt like there's a real opening, um, in the environmental media space. And, and what we needed was something that was inspired by hope and that was really designed forward and exciting and about yes. 
And so I really I set out about doing that. It just was like the, the hippies were were the ones who sort of owned the environmental movement. And I love the hippies, and you know I definitely have <laughs> a big a big part of me is is a hippie. But um, there we are shallow shallow beings, and aesthetics really matter. And you know hippies is a very small part of our society, and was really already sold to. They're already you know being delivered to and so you know my basic concept was like what about if we could put together something a, a, a environmental site that was really designed for it was really positive and would allow you to live in a city and wear a collared shirt and call yourself an environmentalist that would add to uh would, be, would appeal to a different much much larger market than the hippies were and so that's where tree hugger was born and tree hugger was uh, and remains to be a uh, you know tongue and tongue and cheek name and so it's you know tree hugger is actually very non tree hugger but it just was a very memorable um fun name and so we, so we ran with it and so it it was and is um this blog um that was you know focused on design forward product design and furniture and architecture and fashion and uh, some environmental news and more and more of that later and but just trying to be get people really psyched about the environment and that we could live in a way that you know felt better morally but also was really exciting and just made sense and was about efficiency and design and um so yeah so that was the a big turning point and I uh, had become friends with this guy named Nick Denton, who you are probably yeah. familiar with. And, <laughs> yes. Um, when I was the founder of Gawker. And so he had basically Gawker and Gizmodo and maybe one other at that point. And I had been thinking about this environmental media idea for quite a while already. And basically Nick was like, hey, you know, this is here's your platform. Like you should do it. And he was doing it, and so I did. And so he was, you know, very helpful. And so all of a sudden, we had this blogging platform that was just inexpensive, and and so we were very lucky. Like, you know, Nick was able to say, "I, I didn't waste too much time." You know, what blogging platform? This one. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Wait, what should I do here? Okay. So I got a bunch of early advice um, from him, and and just went for it. And at th those days in in New York. Largely, I guess that you know it was very incestuous. So all the blogs were linking back and forth to each other, and so we had this really cool new thing that really appealed to people. And uh, we were, you know, very much in Malcolm Gladwell, you know, speaks of this outlier sort of right place, right, right time. You know, mm -hmm. we're just very fortunate. We had, and so we it was very incestuous, and that really helped us build our build our traffic because everyone was sort of working together. And so Trigger went very well, and we were, you know, very quickly the biggest green site out there, and, and you know, maintained that for a number of years until the big boys really started using their power to send traffic to their sites. But um, and yeah, we created this amazing thing, and uh, you know, I, I was just very lucky and had a fantastic team, and we just did did some really great work, and I'm I'm like three years later, I sold to Discovery, and they were really really great. And, and have continued to support. And they did a joint venture with uh, Mother Nature News, MNN, and they've just continued and it's, it's um, still going. So I'm very proud of, you know, having been the catalyst for that and very proud of the amazing team that have done that. And I think, you know, what um, what bigger than that, though, is, is really for, for me – is the ripple effect and I was, it's, I'm friends with this guy Blake Mykoski who's the founder of Tom's and uh, we were talking about this um, recently you know that like the the main your main projects great you know really important but if you can have a ripple effect that is just so much larger so um, you know do something that really helps it gets people to copy or influences people. And so Treehugger, what I'm really proud of is that we showed that there was a business in green um, and that and that you could do it in a different way. It could be, you know, design forward and positive, et cetera. And so we are, are I know for a fact we're part of, you know, hundreds of business plans. And so we really helped sort of pave the way for uh, as a reference point for people. And so while I'm very proud of Treehugger, what I'm more proud of is I think the ripple effect we've had. And, you know, the the 
for for Blake, it would be really you know popularizing the one for one. You know, he like Tom's has done amazing stuff over the years, and it's you know a very big company, um, but way bigger is just the 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 ripple effect that, you know, he really got people thinking about one for one and got people thinking about doing businesses that, that made a difference, but yet still were for profit. So that, those were the big ones. And then I guess the final inflection point was more, um, was really what I'm up to now, which is uh, life edited. And that's, uh, that came about, um, as is often the case, I think with entrepreneurs, just you have a personal project that you, you can't help but turn into a, to a business. And so it really started with, um, you know, I sold two companies and I had seven years of design school. So I had some money and some design skills and I still, you know, I was in my like later mid to late thirties and I'm still living like a student. Um, I just so focused on other stuff and, and just envious of designer friends who had like cool apartments and, and also just wanting to, uh, live uh, in a green manner mm-hmm. and be able to really show people and invite uh, have interviews at my apartment and just sort of show people how to live. And we've done a lot of, in a way, life edited. Treehugger was really like helping point the way to people, uh-huh. like sharing and inspiring. Um, and life edited is more about, you know, doing it. Yeah. And so that it's like, it's really clear, you know, this is exactly how you do it, do this and, and really living it. And so, so uh, that's, so I basically, so I set up to, buy an apartment in new york city unfortunately not in 99 but in like 2010 so uh-huh. never bought i just stupidly rented the whole time um and uh in looking at it i realized we had been talking a lot on Treehugger about the size of apartments and how that um basically every cubic foot that you add to a uh, home is a cubic foot that you have to build out of stuff, you know, the walls and the ceilings and all that. You have to fill full of stuff, all your possessions and furniture and everything. And then you have to light it and you have to heat it and you have to cool it and you have to clean it and you have to insure it and repair it. At some point, perhaps move it, think about it. Like there's just, there's a lot that comes with it with every cubic foot. And so if you could design a place with less cubic feet, you just had less of all those things. And so the, you know, the easiest way to go green is to, to start by just going smaller. And, um, just realize that particularly in the U S there's this real phenomenon we've over the last 60 odd years, supersized ourselves in this crazy way. So, we have, it used to be a thousand square feet per person, um, or th- sorry, a thousand square feet, um, was sort of the average, uh, housing size, uh-huh. uh, back in like the fifties. And now it's like 2,700 with smaller families. So, you know, the big numbers are, we have three times the space per person that we used to. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's crazy. And while at the same time that over in Europe, those poor Europeans with their terrible lifestyles are living with a thousand. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just, it just didn't make sense to me. And our, our happiness levels have flatlined since the fifties. So we have all this space and a $22 billion personal storage industry to store more stuff, <laughs> but we're not any happier we're burning our footprints are like four times as large as they were back there and we have more debt. And so it just was like clear, Hey, something's not working here. And so, so what I set out to do with life edited and really my first apartment was to create something that had the functionality of a space much larger. So it would do everything that I needed to do, but in, in, in less space and uh, therefore, you know, add green materials and, you know, buy green electricity, um, you know, heat recovery ventilator, and uh, had like a little composter, a nature mill composter, et cetera, et cetera. You could, you could really create something environmental. And so I did this neat thing at the time. There had been very little crowdsourcing in architecture. And so I, ran, I sort of ran this with Javoto, this uh, company um, out of Berlin, put together a really aggressive brief and I bought this 420 square foot apartment and then we um, raised like 80 grand from like Cisco and resource furniture and a whole bunch of other uh, sponsors and ran this contest and got 300 entries from around the world all like really uh, focusing on you know 
on the space and how to make the most efficient use of it. Um, and uh, we picked this um, we picked these these guys these guys from Romania, and and ended up hiring one of them, Cataline. And um, we basically built out their scheme with very little changes, and it was great. And I lived in it for a while, like a couple of years, and um, ended up doing a TED talk about the about it, and which has gotten like three million views. And I, I wrote a New York Times op-ed, which was very popular, most pop most read thing on the New York Times for a week straight, and I think fourth most popular op-ed. Um, and so what was what was just interesting is like this personal project that I took on. Um, appeals to our society. It's like in, intuitively we are really attracted to this idea. We uh, we understand most of us that something's not working here. We things are things are overwhelming. Things are too much. We're desiring this uh, a simpler life, and that's why you know a silly op-ed or a ted talk about you know living small could actually be really popular like if you think of it it doesn't make much sense not that i i'm like some amazing public speaker or writer or something it's like it's just that our society knows something's off here and people are desiring it and i think the you know the way you found me was in this the minimalists um documentary thing um on netflix i think it also illustrates it like there's something call the minimalist could get that much traction i mean i think every friend that i have has seen it and text you know texted me a screen grab of it like yeah. that thing went huge and so i think intuitively do we just all know this is not working and we, we're we want something smaller the world's sort of uh, overwhelming so yeah so life edited um you know we, i give a bunch of talks and and we do we have a newsletter on lifeedited.com and and we we haven't been doing much posting for a bit but Basically, what we're trying to do is we, we, we realize that uh, if we're smart about how we p- apply design, mm-hmm. technology, and perhaps a little behavior change, that we can create really compelling ways of living that are that save us some money, that reduce our footprints drastically, um, and that a simpler life is a happier life. And so I'm, uh, we're sort of setting about to do that. And so we do various sort of runway projects that we're working with sponsors where we build up these rad apartments or this thousand square foot off grid place I'm working on in Maui. And then we're also doing some development with uh, partners, um, Jason Holiday and Leah Solomon out in Brooklyn, where we'll buy and renovate uh, and sell housing. And we're sort of build, building up from there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so well, those are probably the well you asked and answered a lot of my questions uh, so <laughs> yeah. I, I have two final questions because um, we've got about seven more minutes here um, one of the, the things that I was very curious about having seen that was what do you guys think the impact on um, poverty is going to be as a result of this like do you think it will lead to a reduction in poverty I mean, I think at the highest level, our challenge is that our society is built on infinite growth. You know, companies have to grow, stock has to grow, populations have to grow um, on a, a finite sphere. <laughs> and so I think at those those just collide at some point. Yeah. And I think we're, we're just seeing them collide. We just, we, you know, the, the, it's, this is finite stuff. We only have so much oil, so much lithium, so much whatever. Like, so we have to start being smart about it. And, and you know, it's, it, it's a negative sort of look. But, you know, you could, look, you could certainly look at humans as like a cancer on the earth. Like we have really, I mean, I think we can do, we can be smarter than that. And we can be better than that. We don't, we, we just have to acknowledge we can't grow infinitely we have to we have to be sustainable sustainable just means something that like lasts that is is done in a way that makes sense and has a lifetime instead of just burns out and uh you know the so um so i think that um yeah smart smart efficient smaller living um could have a big effect like i think we we need the we need to swing the pendulum back from uh cribs you know and send a new message and and just i think more and more people and celebrities also are realizing you know, your your happiness level after like 75 a 100,000 a year like it just it doesn't the studies show it just doesn't go up like once you can live in a decent place and go for dinner and take some vacations like 
you know, there's not much after that. It doesn't get that much better. And so, you know, what's important are experiences and connection and relationships and that ginormous house with that, you know, second media room or the, the formal dining room that you forget that you have and never use. Like they're just they're not working for us and they they cost us a huge amount in terms of our footprint. They cost us financially and they're just a pain in the ass because you got to think about them and deal with them and manage them. And so as someone who's, you know, made some money over the years, I'm like, you know, my last apartment, the one I have now in, in New York is 350 square feet and it's awesome. Huh. And, you know, so do you have to live in 350? No. And if you're a big family, you know, have more, but I think we can just, we just want to head the other way. And I think that'll help poverty overall. I mean, I think it's just, we can, it's already happening. Small living's already happening. Unfortunately, it's just not happening in a very sanitary or healthy or sorry, safe manner. And so I right. think my, my hope is that we can just, you know, just live smarter. We don't need, we don't need these McMansions <laughs> and, and, and we can understand that, you know, the, the gravy above a hundred thousand, you know, you can, you can put it to work for other people and we can get, get the whole world in a happier, better, better place. Um, yeah. Well, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? So, I mean, I think so. You, I mean, the creative creativity for me is is just looking at things in new ways, right? It's basically not accepting the status quo, and and it's always there's always like when you see something really creative, there's like an aha, like oh, it's almost obvious, mm-hmm. and, and so there's this just doing something different. And so, you know, some of us is unmistakably creative. It's like, it's just sort of just hits you. It's sort of like, like obvious. And I guess maybe like as a, if, if it's a person that you're looking at, I think you can really see if they're coming from the right place and like a real artist, like you can just, you can tell the difference when someone is doing it because they have to do it. Um, in a good way. I mean, they're, they're driven to do it. It's not like they would be doing this whether people were watching or not. I think mm-hmm. that's the that's the really big one. They're just they're they're they are flowing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just they're in the flow, doing their thing, and they sort of they have to do it. And they're in a great way. They're excited to do it, but they're not. It's not calculated. They're they're not sort of calculating okay well if i do this then i'm gonna make a bunch of money you know gotta do it like the real entrepreneurs and you know there there are there are some that aren't like this but i think in general it's the people that aren't that calculated they're just doing it because they can't help themselves from doing it and i think that those are the people that sort of unmistakably creative and and you can just tell there's just they have a certain passion and joy and they're just they're doing it for the right reasons because they can't help themselves you know in the entrepreneurial space i think it's often that they're they're solving some problem you know like i don't know tree hugger was just it was it just happened because i was it was from frustration right like i had a you know i think all entrepreneurs have a certain amount of arrogance you 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 need it because you're basically saying you know, that's not working. And I, I know there's a better way of doing it and I'm going to do it. And so, you know, I think my, um, for me, tree hugger was like, this is silly. Like there's gotta be a, there's a better way to do this and I'm going to try to do it. Awesome. Well, I think that makes a a very fitting end to our conversation. Um, I I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share your story with our listeners because uh, something like you said, something about just seeing, you know, what you were talking about, a minimalism documentary really struck me. And I I felt that was an important conversation to, to put put another light on. So (laughs) thank you. I think, I think next time, well, uh, it's very odd just being able to go on and on. And, and you know, I, as you, as you just witnessed, I can talk, uh, <laughs> but it's very, yeah, it's like there's some, some place in between. I guess I had to remember that it was an app, but it was a, <laughs> it was an hour long. No worries. But, yeah. Um, so anyway, it was really fun. Awesome. It was really fun to chat to you awesome. and congrats. I really like what you guys are doing and, um, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a listener. Awesome. So well, keep at it. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? 
Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.